Welcome to Moms Going Boldly, a Star Trek Discovery podcast by two moms who write about autism and who also happen to be Star Trek fans. We talk about the new series, compare it with previous versions of Star Trek, and also talk about any autism examples we see along the way. I am your host, Elizabeth. Hi, I'm Vicki. Together, we are Moms Going Boldly. Today we are talking about the episode, The War Without and The War Within. The crew of the USS Discovery has made it back to their own universe, but they discover that things are a mess. The war with the Klingons is going badly, and Starfleet and the Federation are devastated. We are here today to talk about the second to last episode the War Without and The War Within, and I was delighted to discover that I was wrong. This isn't the last episode of the season. We have one more. Yeah. It looks like there was going to be some really fun wrapping up of threads, which couldn't have been done without two more episodes. Oh, so is that why you were disappointed in the episode? No, I was disappointed in the episode uh. because... When I watched it again, I wasn't disappointed anymore. When I watched it again, I started to realize what it was that I was seeing. Then I was actually really, I really liked it. Let's, let's, let's get into that and I can talk about it in more details. The episode starts with a recap, again, of previous episodes to keep people, you know, get people up to date. We got to see the previous interactions and storyline of Vok and Laurel. We got to see the storyline of Lorca and Giorgio, and we got to get a recap on the status of where the ship was and the status of the war. And then we go immediately to Saru as captain going to the transporter room to meet Burnham and discovering Emperor Giorgio. And he orders the Terran defector to be beamed to quarters and that the transporter officer is not allowed to talk about it. He makes it confidential. And then Saru escorts Michael Burnham to sickbay and on the way explains Lieutenant Tyler's status and how he's had an experimental procedure done on him by Laurel. And when they get there, it's Saru's hope that seeing Burnham's familiar face will help guide his recovery, but she refuses to see him. What did you think about that? I'm having a hard time with her this episode. (laughs) (laughs) I understand the man, she, you know, he tried to kill her. I understand that. But she knows it wasn't him. And I I agree with you. The first time around, that's why I was saying I had mixed feelings about it. The first time around, I was like, what are you doing? But the second time around, I was realizing that she's coming off of... A few episodes back, she learned that Sarek had essentially chosen his natural son over her and her life goals. Then she just figured out that Captain Lorca, who she trusted and who essentially tried to step into the father role after she learned of Sarek's betrayal, was not who she thought he was. And then the other man that she loved tried to kill her. And all of that. But it's not even like I'll think about it and we'll talk about it later. It's like, I'm done period. And do you think it's because we have an expectation that someone who has been raised on Vulcan with an understanding of logic is going to do a little bit more processing before responding emotionally? 
Yes, because well, because when she responds emotionally, everything goes haywire. So I'm not happy with any of this. So then Saru goes in, he talks to Tyler. Tyler explains that he's got Vox memories and that Vok was a test case for this procedure and that he would be happy to disclose anything that he knew about this procedure and about the Klingons and about Vok, etc. And then he asks for Burnham. And I think Saru showed himself once again to be an amazing leader, a great captain, and how he reframed the question so that he didn't actually have to answer it. He was diplomatic. He was supportive. He said, let's focus on you. I just, I love Saru. I do too. That's a big step for me because I did not like the character. I, I could say most of the way through the season. Really, like, took a turn. So then uh, they discovered that a Federation vessel is approaching them after not getting any responses from Federation vessels throughout the quadrant. They've got one approaching them, and it's got its shields up, and its weapons powered, and then they're boarded by a wide variety of different Federation members, and then the Admiral and Sarek beam onto the bridge and they're hostile and they're angry and they're holding everyone on the bridge, you know, at gunpoint. And she takes control of the bridge using a command override. And then Sarek does a mind meld with Saru and discovers everything that has happened. He learns all about what has happened to Discovery and that Captain Lorca is dead. So then we go into conference room where the Admiral shoots... (laughs) Lorca's fortune cookies. <laughs> I know. I do. I like that. That was funny. So she's really she shows a different side of this distrust that was generated by Lorca's behavior. I mean, Michael Burnham is wounded, and the admiral's pissed off. Right. And you can see why there was so much distrust of this crew, knowing what she knew about Lorca's behavior and thinking that he was still in command of the Discovery and wondering what kind of sick and twisted weirdness was going on with his command of the ship. And that's why they showed up ready to take out Discovery if needed. I can understand that, but it also looked like it appeared that this was like common practice now. The other thing that I thought was really interesting is that she made the assumption that her Gabriel was dead. What did you think of that? That maybe her Gabriel isn't dead. I see conspiracy everywhere now. And so they may have done that just to make us think that, ooh, maybe he's alive because she said that. There was, a, there was a reason for that. Either he is alive or they just want us to think that. Her statement was actually illogical. If evil Lorca can function in our universe, then good luck Lorca could function in their universe. There's no reason why he couldn't. Absolutely. Right. But anyway, so thank you very much, writers, for the opportunity to maybe bring Jason Isaac back in the future. They also use this opportunity to give us a little exposition and to tell us what has happened with the Federation for the last nine months. And it's been bad, and the Federation is in disarray, and the Klingons are all over the place killing and maiming and murdering and destroying. And Sarek says that the houses have no leader. All the houses are just engaging in warfare, piecemeal, on their own, trying to beat each other, internal conflict and competition. It isn't a unified force of Klingons coming after the Federation, which, of course, goes back to what we were talking about a couple of podcasts ago when Tyler and Burnham were in the Mirror Universe, and they met with Vok. And Vok said that the way he was able to coordinate with these different species in the Rebellion was that he first had to unite all the houses. 
So we've got that theme again here with Sarek. And I think we know where this is going to go. I think this whole episode is showing us easily they can they can um, turn into the uh, excuse me what the mirror universe was like like with the mind meld the immediate mind meld with now they're going well we're getting ahead but the things that they're planning to do or start fleet chat tactics and that's said more than once. So then the admiral classifies everything related to the mirror universe. Uh, everything related to that experience. And there's a really good conversation there with Stamets and Saurik talking about how if people knew this existed with all the losses that they've suffered, they would want to go to the other universe to find their loved ones. And I thought that was a really nice explanation as to why when we get into the original series, Mirror Mirror, we don't know about it because it was classified. The Admiral orders them to Starbase 1, and they then tell the Admiral about the Emperor, and they go in and meet her, and it's a very uncomfortable meeting. I don't understand why both of them said it's an amazing resemblance. It's mere universe. It's the same person. Right. It's not a resemblance. It's not a doppelganger. It's, I don't yeah. know how to explain it. But I know. I, I get it. There are two ways to think about this. The first is that... You know, they hadn't encountered mirror counterparts, so finding someone who's identical is surprising enough to comment on. But I think, actually, it relates to what happens later in the episode. What's really interesting to me from that conversation is how much she does not want to be there. And she wants to go back to her universe. I found it troubling that no one in the room seemed to find it a problem that they were keeping someone there against their will. Michael Burnham didn't seem to have a problem with it. The Admiral, Sarek. Exactly. The parallels, like this is how the universe, this is could be how the u- mirror universe developed into what it was. So then we uh, run it, we, we have an encounter with Stamets and Tyler, which I thought was kind of awkwardly done. Now, of course, the encounter is going to be awkward in and of itself because Tyler killed Stamets' husband. But I thought the way that it came together seemed felt awkward too oh here let's have these two characters run into each other in the hallway this episode this episode seemed to be bridged to the next episode yeah where all of our all of the confrontations happened all of the explanations people were waiting for happened there was a lot of planning not a lot got done yeah i think and i just think from a therapeutic standpoint that this the doctors in sickbay would have arranged for that meeting to take place not haphazardly in a hallway because that could have gone really badly so then tyler goes into the lunchroom everyone stops talking they're staring at him he gets his lunch he sits down and then came a moment of pure unadulterated tilly love she goes and sits down with him and He's like, you don't have to do this. I'm fine. And she says, how could that possibly be true? Another crew member joins them and then another. And then Tyler's presence is normalized by Tilly's behavior and then these other crewmen joining in. As we approach Starbase 1, Saru's ganglia goes off. And they arrive at Starbase 1 and it's been destroyed by the Klingons. And not only has it been destroyed by the Klingons, but it's got a house insignia on it. The insignia of House Degore. Do you remember who Degore is? I, I assume there was a reason they were kept saying that, that I was supposed to remember who this was, but I don't. So Degore was the Klingon who was attacking Grilka's house in the Deep Space Nine episode, The House of Quark. He was the one that was using 
financial strategies like a Ferengi to bring down Grilka's house. Clearly trying to do a callback to that very familiar episode. The Admiral is completely stunned by the loss of Starbase One and Saru steps up and very competently and calmly gets them out of there so they're no longer in danger. And then we go to a scene where the Admiral goes to see Laurel. It's a great scene. What did you think of that scene? Yeah, it was good. I liked it. It was. It was the scene of two people who respect each other talking about what's going to happen next. And the Admiral tells Laurel that the war is just battle amongst the houses. And she says, how do we end this? And Laurel answers, conquer us or we will never relent. So now the Admiral has a course of action. They have to conquer the Klingons, which of course is not what Starfleet does. Exactly, and that's what I was saying at the beginning too. Yes. Not, none of this is star, what the Starfleet does. Right. So then we see Burnham and the Emperor, and Burnham asks the Emperor, how did you conquer the Klingons? And the Emperor uh, comes up with the plan that she then gives to Burnham, who turns around and shares it with the Admiral. And the plan is to surveil Kronos from underground, to have the Discovery jump in to underground caves where they can surveil the Klingons, all of their military installations, all of their infrastructure and strategic sites from inside the planet. It's kind of brilliant. That scene felt very Battlestar Galactica to me. Yeah, I guess. I guess you could say that, yeah. You know, where they were talking to the Starfleet people on holograms and, you know, mapping things out in the plan. All that was missing was Edward James almost. One of the really important things that I took away from that scene was when Sarek said, Starfleet tactics have failed us. Um, right. And that goes to what you were talking about, about how they're not going to be able to do this using, by being the Federation and by being Starfleet. So in order to be able to do this jump, they need more spores because they use the last of their spore supply up to be able to get back from the mirror universe. So they're going to seed a moon with spores and... They get the permission to go do that, and they're heading off to Veda, which is the system where the moon is. And then while they're doing that, Sarek meets with the Emperor. What did you think of the scene? Why, why did the writers include that scene? I'm, I'm not sure. It was almost like they were ba- having a, my kid is a battle over Michael. To me, it was like, do you remember when we were in the Mirror Universe, and we had the scene where... Burnham was talking to Saru via hologram. You know, she was captain of the ship. She was acting as the ship. And you said you were sure there was more going on than we got right, to and see. And I'm sure there was more going on. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking was going on here, too. But it was, kind of, it was just kind of odd that they were discussing Burnham like, well, my daughter <laughs> did this, but my daughter did this. Like, like, my kid is better than your kid, pretty much. Yeah. Well, and I think the most important thing in a scene like that is to remember who these characters are. Because one of the things that the writers have always done is made sure that the characters are really true to themselves. So who's Sarek and who is the Emperor and what are they trying to gain in this scene and what is their end game? Sarek says goodbye to Burnham, which I thought was a really nice scene because he was essentially trying to help her manage her feelings about Tyler and about Giorgio. And I, and I also think some of that had to do with him. Yes. Too. 
He was essentially giving her a way through the emotional morass that she's found herself in. So then we get to go see Burnham and Tilly together. And Burnham actually is going to Tilly for emotional reassurance about saying goodbye to her, to Sark, which kind of shows how their relationship has grown. And Tilly is giving Burnham a hard time about not having yet seen Tyler and spoken with him. And she has a wonderful line here. She says that he is someone new. What we do now and the way we treat him is who he will become. I wrote that down too. And I was moved by that line, not only for its compassion and understanding between Tilly and Tyler, but also because for us, you know, we tend to look at things through the eyes of autism awareness and autism acceptance. And that's what I would want people to understand about autism. How you treat someone on the spectrum is who they will become. Then we go into a really cool scene of space science. They seed the spores on this moon. This moon that if it's successful, Stamets said he'd let Tilly name it. After they successfully seed the moon, which means that they have now a resource for the spores needed to make the jump, we get to see the scene with Burnham and Tyler. What did you think of this scene? Like I said, she was disappointed. And you know, both um, Tyler and Sarek called her out on the Klingon um, killing her parents. Both of them are telling her that, you know, she she won't accept Ash because he was a Klingon and the, and the whole Klingon killing her parents is what's holding her back from forgiving him. Okay. And Ash called her out on that. But it annoyed me because she, again, she told Ash that when, after she killed the captain, she had to crawl back on her own and she had to sit with herself. And that's not true. She had the help of Ash, she had the help of Tilly, and she even had the help of Lorca in her life until she was a member of that ship. Yep. Oh, that whole speech, not true. It was very cold. It was. I wonder if it was all a put on. And and I'll explain why. Because I'll get to it. I'll get to it. We have a lot of things to wrap up. So I keep saying I'll get to it when we get to the end here. So let's go ahead and finish up this the, the, the sort of the recap here and then we can talk a little bit more about this so we have the scene with Tyler and Burnham and it's sad and it's unsatisfactory and it's disappointing because she's essentially saying I'm saying goodbye to you and she walks away then we go on to the the bridge and they're ready to go the spore drive is ready to go their mission is a go and the admiral says I'm going to hand this over to someone who can actually do this mission and she introduces Captain Giorgio, who she says was recently rescued in a highly classified raid from a Klingon prison ship. And it's the Emperor in Starfleet uniform taking command of the Discovery. And that's where the episode ends. <laughs> Here are my thoughts about this. We have a group of Klingons, 24 houses, that are all a disparate, jumbled group with no unified leadership. And we know that in the Mirror Universe, Vok was that unified leadership. And we know that Tyler has Vok's memories and could very well be Vok in a Tyler suit. What if Burnham rejected him because she knew that in order to unite the houses, they needed Vok and that's Tyler. I'm thinking. I don't know. that I, I see what you're saying. 
I guess the way I thought about it was that he had Vox memory so he could be helpful in the pursuit. But either way, uh, Tyler slash Vox and Laurel would need to be the ambassadors to the houses to unite them. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I know that Laurel probably would have to be, but I don't know that if he, he needed to be to the um, uh, albino. The other, my other thought was this. What Sarek said about how Starfleet tactics were not working and how very dedicated the Federation and Starfleet was to Federation ideals and morals, perhaps they decided that they needed to have the Emperor doing what they couldn't do without sacrificing their own principles. Right, but she's going to be commanding a, a crew to what they couldn't do. Well, is she going to be, see, that's where we don't know. Is she going to be making commands of them that violate their principles? Or is she going to be using strategies and perspectives that they couldn't come up with because of their Federation principles, but they could then implement without violating their own philosophies and principles? But it just, the whole thing just seems crazy. It is. It is standing on 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 a knife. So sounded like, and correct me if I'm wrong, she's putting... Giorgio in charge, she's not going to be on the She's leaving the ship, the Admiral. Leaving Giorgio in charge, and I don't understand that at all. I would like to believe that this was, and it's supported by the, there was a scene where it's just the Admiral and Sarek talking, and he was saying he had to go back to Vulcan because he needed to firm up some details related to the plan. We know there's more details than we... Yeah. But it did sound like that she was turning over the ship to... Giorgio when she was leaving and going back to her ship or wherever it is. That- yeah, and I think you're right because I recall now that in the the preview for the next episode, we see Burnham and the Admiral talking and the Admiral is a hologram, which means she's not on Discovery. You're right. So it's a risky thing to, it's a very risky thing to do to leave Giorgio in command or the Emperor. Especially that the rest of the crew thinks she's actually Giorgio. Yes, because the only one who doesn't knows that she's not is Saru... Burnham, the Admiral, and the Transporter Chief. So if something happens that they have to, again, over, the crew's going to... Yeah. No, at it again. <laughs> you know. It's very it's, risky. And it doesn't look like Burnham knows about it. So she's out of the loop on this one. Look like either one of them knew about it. Yeah. Through either. Did you have any other thoughts or theories for this episode? I just, I just like I said at the beginning, and I still feel that way was kind of showing us how the mirror universe, not the mirror universe, but this could become like the mirror universe, having to do things that flee and a planet unprovoked. Not that it's unprovoked, but then they're going to destroy it. Right. As a little speech there too, she also said, you know, we have to recognize the darkness and know how to handle it. If you live in the darkness too long to all these tactics, do you then become like the people in the mirror universe? Yep. And this has been a persistent concern of yours for several episodes now. And there's been nothing to make your concern go away. It seems to have gotten worse, you know, in our universe. After we don't know what, I'm, what, you know, what they've been through in the last nine months. Well, we do sort of, but not really. But like I said, you know, when they, they board a ship and the first thing they do is a mind meld. And it didn't look like... Anybody had to tell him to do it. It looks like that's just something he does now. And having to use all these tactics. and So we saw the preview for the next episode, which is called Will You Take My Hand? And it looks like it's going to be a very exciting episode. And then that's the last episode of the season. Do you think it's going to be a two-hour two episode? 
I don't know. Two-hour episode would actually really give us enough time to get a really meaty conclusion and wrapping up all the threads. I want to wrap up all the threads. Well, then I hope that our listeners will join us next time to listen to our discussion of the episode, Will You Take My Hand? As a reminder, if anyone has any suggestions about which episodes of Star Trek you might like us to discuss on future podcasts, please fill out the form on the Podbean podcast page. There's a little Facebook comment form that you can go ahead and, and fill out. Did you see that we've already got some suggestions? Oh, I didn't. Yeah, they actually came through the uh, Star Trek Discovery group on Facebook, and there's been a request that we do, we cover Mirror Mirror, and that we continue to make observations regarding autism, which I thought was kind of cool. Figured the Mirror Universes would be. Yeah, that makes sense. If you'd like to reach us, I can be reached on my blog, autismmom.com. I could be found at taking it a step at a time at takingstep.com. Links to both of our blogs are in the sidebar of the Moms Going Boldly Podbean podcast website. And we hope you'll join us again for the next episode of Moms Going Boldly. The music on Moms Going Boldly is called Without Limits by Ross Bugden Music, licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license, creativecommons.org. Ross Bugden Music can be found on Twitter at Ross Bugden.